everyone, welcome to Celebrating Industry Leaders podcast. I'm Valerie Delforge, I'm an international business strategies consultant, and I have the real pleasure to introduce you today and have a wonderful conversation with the amazing Millie Kendall, MBE, who is the CEO of British Beauty Council. Millie, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you for having me. Yes, not bad for a Monday. Yes, I know. It's been a short weekend, short but weekend. I'm still here. Yeah. Very fast year as well, isn't it? It's been very fast, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very fast, yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and your story, how you started in the industry and uh, what do you do now? Um, well, I, I, it's quite complicated, really, but I've, I'm sort of one of those people that's had a lot of different jobs in the industry. So I um, uh, trained to do hairdressing, ended up working in makeup, um, on the shop floor um, for a company called Shuemura. Um, and uh, I think the thing I've always liked about uh, both hair and makeup was the sort of more, more of the customer service side of the business, not necessarily. I mean, I love the medium of, of hair. I love watching hairdressers create haircuts and styles and blow dries and things. And I, I love the session world. I love the magazine world and the editorial side of things. I love makeup. I love color and the product and the texture um but i'm a very sort of um hands-on very customer centric person mm. i love the retail and services industry those to me are where it all happens mm. um and i sort of ended up in the late 90s with my own makeup brand um with a, my then business partner ruby hammer uh makeup artist ruby hammer and we had a brand that was sold God, by the time we left our own brand, it was 114 stores um, in the UK. So it was quite a big. That's incredible. Um, yeah, it was quite quite a big brand. Um, and Boots had invested seven million pounds into it in the beginning. So we were the first of the sort of guest artist brands Amazing. that Boots had, um, and um, which was great. Um, and then I um, bumped into a friend of mine literally in the street, and we were talking about beauty retail and when space nk had first opened it was a, a fashion retailer and mm. i had had the beauty concession in the corner of her fashion boutique mm. and which then became very cleverly space nk apothecary and we had discussed the fact that um beauty retail hadn't really changed since the early 90s it's 93 i think space nk opened 9293. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so revolutionary at the time, but in 2009, it really was the only still exciting yeah. place to shop. Um, and my daughter was 13, and I just didn't feel that there was anywhere she could shop for beauty. So we developed Beauty Mart, which was um, mm. a sort of pop up shop model um, that was developed for sort of tweens and teens really just to sort of, um, so that they would get a, a really sort of interesting mix of brands. So we brought in all the French pharmacy brands. We were the first to do that. The Korean brands, Japanese brands. And we just mixed everything up with some American brands. And um, uh, we, we launched online in vending machines and in store. Brilliant. Um, all at the same time, which was quite uh, interesting, exhausting, but interesting. <laughs> and then, um, but I've always worked in sort of marketing and communications, sort of underpinning a lot of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in 
goodness, when was it? Probably around 2009 when we were launching uh, Beauty Mart, I had a conversation. I went out for lunch, no dinner, it was dinner, with a group of women who I've known for years, Lorna Mackay, who was um, uh, the buyer at Harrods. She actually set up the Liberties um, retail, beauty mm -hmm. retail. Um, uh, she was at QVC as well. Uh, Trudy Collister, who does did PR for Aramis at Estee Lauder, mm. all the fragrances, Aramis fragrances. Uh, Kay Montano, who's a makeup artist. There was a whole group of us women. We'd all known each other sort of for years and years and years and yeah, years. Yeah. And we sort of were putting the world to rights. And we, we you know, Kate Shapland was there. Anna-Marie Solovey was there, who's my business partner. And um, we were just talking about setting up an organisation Mm. that would represent the industry in the way that we wanted to see the industry represented. So that was probably maybe 2010, yeah, 10 years ago. Wow. Um, we were all really excited about it. And Kate went home after a few drinks and registered the name, the URL, and the, you know tried to register the logo. Um, and we sort of agreed that we would meet every few months to discuss what we were going to do. And then we didn't see each other for about six years. Excellent. Because, you yeah. know, just things happen, don't they? And yeah, you can, yeah, I completely, sure. I don't really forget about it. But, you know, it's just. I it just wasn't a priority at the time. It actually. wasn't really a priority and we didn't really get around to it. And I guess um, in 2018, 2016, which was six years later, Donald Trump was elected president of the United States and the UK chose to Brexit. Mm, yeah. And I think just the, the two of those things combined, plus I turned 50, mm. um, I just, I was beside myself with panic really. Mm. And I just thought better get on with it. Yeah. Because our industry needs to control its destiny. We can't just be privy or you know a sidekick to fashion mm. and and sort of say well that happened to me what a shame you know yeah. no that's yeah. not going to happen to me I, d I don't want to be in that situation I want to be able to control our destiny so that's incredible yeah. so when was that you actually kind of contacted everyone again and so okay that idea we had well yeah not so so that was 2016 and then you know it was about took about two years kind of sort of almost lobbying friends and people that I knew in the industry mm. to kind of come together to pull it all together and we held I think it was probably 2017 we held a meeting at a friend of mine Jane's office Jane Boardman she's the CEO of um, Saatchi Talk mm. MSC Saatchi Talk and um, we held a meeting in her office and we invited God, lots of people. I mean, Julieta Dexter from TCS and um, um, the London College of Beauty Therapy and CTPA and Creative Head Magazine. It's a hairdressing magazine, the publisher. We just, I just pulled in loads of people I knew. Caroline Hirons was there. Um, just friends of mine, you know, people that I felt I could trust. And, and also not just, not just that, I brought in people that I thought would be that would find it quite controversial. So I, I brought in people from Estee Lauder and um, L'Oreal, people from brands that I thought um, it would be interesting to hear what they had to say. And we made a presentation of what we wanted to do. Um, and, um, and it was a very interesting conversation. Um, but I would say 
out of everyone that, that was there, there were only two people that said they didn't want to get involved. And there were probably about 30 people around the table. So I thought that was a pretty good indication that we were going to, we were going to go ahead. I mean, obviously in your mind, you think, oh God, everyone's going to want this, but it never is the case. You know, you always no. have to be quite reasonable. But I thought out of 30, you know, men and women around the table, the fact that only two said we can't get involved and that was because they were involved in something else mm. wasn't so bad. No, for sure. I thought that was quite, um, yeah, I thought that was quite good. So that was kind of 2016. 2016, 2017. So, and then we, in order, so this is quite complicated, probably quite boring for everyone listening, but but in order to use the words British and council Mm. in the name of any organisation, they're considered by the government to be sensitive words. So yeah. in order to do that, you have to lobby and um, basically get confirmation from at least 65% of the industry that you are a required preeminent body. Wow. And so I had to write to people like Space NK and L'Oreal and Coty and um, the mayor's office and literally anyone that would have us, you know, newspapers and, and other trade bodies to get... Um, letters from them saying that there was a required preeminent body um, and that they would support the British Beauty Council if the Sensitive Words Office would approve the use of the terms British and Council. And the weird thing about the British, um, uh, the Sensitive Words Office, where you have to apply to use the words British Council, is they do nothing by email, everything's in writing, and they, it's like they have no computers. Oh, so it's something out of like some little old-fashioned government handbook mm. so it that took about seven months wow um and also because we're a non-profit we've worked we work very closely with the british fashion council so we had to ensure that we had the right articles of association the right rules and all the right sort of um the setup had to be right to mm. be able to operate in a very similar way to the bfc so that <laughs> took quite about seven eight months yeah. And you officially launched when? Well, we officially launched October 2018 and it was a bit of a soft launch. And then we really started work in earnest 2019, January 2019. So we sort of launched and there was about three months at the end of 2018 where there was some work being done that wasn't necessarily public facing. Mm. It was um, a piece of sort of um, research that we did to define the beauty industry. So we had to, um, what, one of the things that we wanted to do was, was get a clear definition of what jobs and what services were included within the beauty sector mm. so that we could look at A, who we represent and B, then turn around and value it. If you can't define something, you can't really value it because you don't know what you're valuing. 100%. Um, so from October 2018 to January 2019, we defined the industry and we had a series of roundtable uh, focus groups and then interviews with sort of industry leaders. Excellent. To come up with that definition. Yeah. What's pretty? That's an amount, a huge amount of work. And obviously, March happens. And another amount of work that, you know, we've seen. Yeah, I didn't bank on this global pandemic <laughs> when I started it, you know. Um, that was sort of, that fast-tracked everything, didn't it? I mean, you know, I think it's just changed the world, hasn't it, overnight? Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. So, I mean, we, we've seen you, I mean, I've definitely seen you everywhere and really fighting the coast for many, many different things. And, uh, 
like you said, did you have these kind of things in mind when you was kind of looking at the strategy or, or did you feel like you? Um, well, we knew that if we, so basically Jane had been on the, um, she's on the board of the Fragrance Foundation. And um, so there were a number of things that we knew in the beginning. Number one was that we knew that there were about 17 different industry bodies that already existed. And what we'd wanted to ensure was, is that we would, that they would accept working with us. Mm. And so we, uh, I literally went out begging saying, look, we are an advocacy group. We are not a trade body. Mm. We want to work and we want to support you. We do not want to detract from what you're already doing. Mm. So that was, that was the first thing. So I knew that it was very important to create this sort of affiliate board, which is a group of industry organizations and also charities that we can support. So these are people already operating in the industry, like Look Good, Feel Better, BabTac, SIBTAC, mm. VTCT, Habi, et cetera. Um, and I did not want to detract from, from what they were doing because I think it's very important that they continue to do what they do and they do a brilliant yeah. job. So that, that was the first thing. Um, and some were great. Um, and some came on board very quickly. Some were a little harder to turn, mm. but obviously COVID fast-tracked that yeah. because I think they realized that we were operating at a different level in terms mm -hmm. of our sort of output and the comms and the kind of things that we were doing. So, so that was the first thing. The second thing was, is that in 2019, when we started what we call the value of beauty, which is a free mm -hmm. uh, a report that is, you can download for free on our website, um, we, we knew that if we wanted to really play on an even um, playing field with the government alongside fashion mm. um, and music and art and, you know, film, TV, et cetera, we would need to have an official valuation. And so we spent 180,000 pounds on a valuation that was carried out by the organization that the government recognized as the official organization to do this sort of quantitative and, and qualitative work. Because otherwise you, you can't go and use a sort of mint finger in the wind organization. Yeah, yeah, Government yeah, yeah. don't like that. They want yeah. to use an organization that they know um, pulls the numbers from the right place. Yeah, 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 for sure. So our valuation was complete in July, 2019. Again, what I didn't realize was is that that was going to become industry standard, you know, six months later in March or seven mm -hmm. months later in March when we're sort of faced with this global pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that has really helped us a lot mm -hmm. because everybody talks about the value of beauty being 28.4 billion uh, mm -hmm. contribution to GDP and 27.2 billion in consumer spending across services and products. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is those two things in itself, I think, um, you do them because you know they need to be done. You're never really sure what's going to happen and, and, and if that's going to be used. Yeah. I own a PR agency, so I'm used to somebody giving me a product. We do PR, and that weekend we want to see it in all the Sunday magazines and mm. all the magazines the following months. Mm. With this, it didn't happen like that. Yeah. The numbers started to trickle into sort of the psyche mm. and – it actually did what it should have done, which is the people that are working on the shop floor in services are elevated by the value of their industry. And so it wasn't sort of straightforward sort of media relations in a way, because although, yes, of course, all the media will write about the value of beauty, 
Mm. Really, the, the best result has been that people that work doing facials or nails or hair or working at boots on the shop floor in department stores all know the value of their industry. Mm. And that to me is like, makes me actually feel very emotional because that to me was exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to pay upfront for a report that the girl washing my hair when I go and have my color done Mm. can repeat back to me. It's amazing. Did you know our industry is worth almost 30 billion pounds a year? That's what I want. I want her to be proud. Yes. Working in an industry that contributes that much to the British economy and beyond. It's incredible, incredible work because it's always about elevating the industry, isn't it? Which is really what you've done. And the pandemic, it seems that has kind of like you said, fast forwarded so many things, but yeah. it was incredibly needed. So it's as if it's meant to be. Yeah, it, just the most bizarre thing. I mean, I think, mm. you know, not that anybody wants to benefit from this awful, awful no, situation, sure. but I think our industry has raised its profile, um, mm. proven that it's a COVID secure industry, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's that's been really hard because we took such a beating in the beginning of this I mean my goodness you know and and we've lost businesses but Mm. you know we've lost businesses like any other industry has yeah um and yes it really hurts it really hurts and it's really awful and I wish we hadn't lost any um Mm. but I also feel that in our industry because we're unlikely to become automated mm. and we are hands-on services industry, mm. then now that we've proven beyond a reasonable doubt that we are COVID secure, there is such certainty in our recovery mm. because people will always want their hair done, their nails will always grow, mm-hmm. they'll always want that, the, t- the feeling of touch, you know, and so, I mean, yeah, I think there's, it's, you know, it's, it's done a terrible disservice to our industry, but I think we've really fought our way through. Yeah, thank God you were there in, in the, you know, in not even knowingly at the time, but uh, definitely has made a, a huge difference. So, I mean, you've also created things like the British Beauty Weekend. So, yes. so how was that received? Because it's not just what you're saying in the mid- middle of all of this is also kind of huge campaigns going on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, so So we did, so before, so last year we, we launched the Value of Beauty in July and then in September we launched London Beauty Week and it was a collaboration with one of our patrons, Covent Garden, and it was a five-day event and I mean, to be really candid, my mother died about 11 days before and so wow. half the time I can't even remember what we did. Yeah. But apparently we pulled off a really exciting event. <laughs> but I was so like robotic throughout the whole thing. I think I just yeah. spent most of the time crying downstairs um, in the in the basement of the industry hub. But um, but we managed to pull off a really interesting event. And it was almost like most of the people that came had said that it was something that they'd always expected and always wanted. So we mm-hmm. we had a sort of combination of industry panel talks and activities and then also very sort of consumer focused pop-up events with brands and um, we always knew we wanted to make it bigger we wanted to turn that into British Beauty Week Mm. we wanted it to be nationwide Um, 
but then the pandemic hit. So then I was in two minds about whether we should even do anything mm-hmm. um, because how do you celebrate when there's such, you know, misery? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But come September, I felt that maybe, you know, maybe October wouldn't be so bad. You know, I figured we'd probably be in another lockdown in November, which eventually we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that maybe some sort of, almost like a review of what we'd been through and and sort of a slight twist in positivity or positive thinking and so we pulled off British Beauty Weekend and it was all virtual I mean none of it was physical obviously Mm -hmm. Um, and we had amazing um, feedback you know really amazing feedback I mean I think people can be a little bit zoom fatigued so yeah, yeah uh, but we've got we had some great new patrons come on board so Facebook WGSN a really interesting content from them. Um, and there were some really interesting topics and there are still things that need to be spoken about. So, yeah, um, yeah. and we also launched um, The Courage to Change, which is a report, our second report, well, third report technically, but our second landmark report, which is the um, our, our landmark sustainability report. Mm. So we had been working on that throughout COVID as well. And that took about four or five months. That's incredible. Mm. And uh, so you, you've launched that as well. That's been launched. Been... That launched the first day of British Beauty Week in October, at the end of October. I want to say it was the 28th, 29th. Um, that's also available to download for free on our website. Um, so it's in what we do and reports, and that's okay. in there. Um, and that's a really robust industry sort of, it's sort of a landscape assessment of our industry. Mm. So it's not overtly negative but it's not overtly positive Mm. Um, but there are call to action there are calls to action so it is very um, driven by my theory that we are afraid to change and we Mm. need to really move forward and we need to make great leaps and strides um, in terms of our industry's sustainability because this is a global climate emergency yeah Definitely, definitely. I know Donald Trump doesn't think it is, <laughs> but I beg to differ. <laughs> so, um, so, um, and and we're, we're not doing badly. You know, we're doing okay. We're not as awful as some people like to lead. You know, the public to believe. Mm. Yeah, we've got some challenges in terms of our contribution, but we're certainly not the worst. For sure. You know, I mean, so. I've got France for a fair amount and, uh, you know, they seem to always say, well, you know, UK, blah, blah, blah. But I do feel there's an element of education and things like what you're doing that's so important. And uh, the more you shout about that, it's an incredible report. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And look, we need to know, I'm a really big fan of, I need to know what the truth is, where we are, sort of almost doing the research and sort of stripping everything away before I start to figure out what's the path to, to the solution. Yes. You know, oftentimes, and you probably know this, you've been in the industry a long time, you know, immediately what the solution is and how to fix something, but you can't, if you're going to prove it to a workforce Mm -hmm. that is 600,000 people strong, you really have to have the evidence. You can't just go, do you know what I think is <laughs> nobody cares what I think no, it's sure. what the experts think what the mm-hmm. our advisory board think what our members think that's what's important it's not my you know um, opinion, decision or my opinion that's not that's not what this is about 
Mm. I'm the facilitator of these things. I love it. I love it. And Millie, please tell us, how do you motivate yourself? Because that's a hell of a journey. And coffee, you, uh, darling, coffee. Coffee is the way forward, yes. It's just coffee. <laughs> um, I, I just love our industry and um, I don't really need any motivation. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm quite driven anyway. I've got a very good work ethic, I think. Mm. Um, I'm good at juggling um yes. and I absolutely love my work it's my third child and um mm. I would do anything really for this industry I've grown up in it I don't really know yeah. anything else yeah. I owe it a lot it's given me a good life you know yeah, yeah I've traveled sure. the world I've turned left on airplanes I, I I feel very fortunate that I've made a really good living out of this industry and so I owe a lot to it really and sometimes the younger generation for sure don't really know what else is out there in terms of positions and what they can do. So it's a, it's a great journey and story. And yeah, we've got three pillars within the British Beauty Council. And the second one is reputation, which obviously is the stuff that we've done that we've talked about. But the other is education. Mm. And really, you know, my job or our role within this is to promote careers in the beauty industry. But mm. like you say, people just don't know about. They no. just don't know what's possible. Yeah, this is it. Um, and there are some amazing, amazing careers. I mean, a lot of people that I know have almost created careers for themselves yeah. within yeah. this industry. Things, jobs that didn't really exist even. They saw, um, saw that opportunity, but also beyond opportunity, isn't it? It's yeah. uh, that passion, I think, from all the people that yourself, you really common denominator, I always feel. I always wonder if people in other industries have as much passion as people in our industry do. Like, do you think that, I yeah. don't know, people that make shoes or, you know, do they have the same passion for shoes or footwear? I mean, I guess they do. Mm. Do people, do florists have the same passion? I assume they do. Mm. I think. I mean, I always felt you don't go in it for necessarily the money and everything else. It's definitely the love first and then yeah yeah i always feel this has got to be the love you've got to love people it's a job for people by people isn't it so yeah it really is and the thing is is that if you're a social person a social being mm. this is a fantastic career for you yeah, for sure. i mean i meet so many interesting people every single day i mean it's not you know there's you never stop learning for sure. And at the moment, what is your biggest challenge, you know, in your current position? I mean, you've mentioned a few that I'm assuming. Um, my biggest challenge. God, finding enough hours in the day as well. Yeah. Um, no, the biggest challenge now is that after all of this, so um, about two, three months ago, um, it became very apparent that a lot of the challenges that the industry faces are based on um, these, uh, this, this coding the government used to code industries. It's not just our government. This is a Europe-wide mm. coding. Um, and it's, they're called the Standard Industrial Classification Codes. And ours has not been updated since 1948. <gasps> and that's the biggest challenge we've got at the moment. And I did get the government to accept a proposal. In fact, they wrote the proposal. They accepted to help me get this overturned and to get the classifications updated um and um they wrote a, a proposal for an organization called nace mm. that was based on our definition of beauty which was really interesting so that could because it's nice to see that being used for good yeah, purpose yeah. Yeah. um and um i'm just waiting for the nace review board to look at our proposal mm. and hopefully 
um, if our European cohorts agree, um, um, there will be a review to how our industry is perceived at government level in wow. terms of its definition, because at the moment it is referred to as hair and other beauty treatments. Oof. And yeah. if you think in 1948, mm. um, other beauty treatments were not what they are now. No, for sure. They were massage parlors mm. uh, and anywhere sort of Jacob, Jacob Rees Mogg went um, <laughs> because it's just yeah. so old fashioned, isn't no, it? Oh, that's so incredible. I'm not knocking him personally, but I'm knocking him personally. No, I just think like <laughs> it's like sometimes when the government refer to the beauty industry, you think that you think it's, they're coming from it from a completely different century, it feels yeah. like. Sure. And, you know, actually they are. You know, that is the truth. And it was, you know, when you think like, where did they get that terminology from? And you wonder, and it's six months in, and I'm thinking, where have they got all this terminology from? And then all of a sudden I stumble upon the reason mm. that they use those terms. And I start investigating it and I speak to the Office of National Statistics and Companies House and statisticians at the Business Energy Industrial Strategy. And it turns out that is exactly why they refer to us in what, seems like a really misogynistic way yeah. it's because our industry is just rooted in the 1950s <laughs> yeah late late 1940s early 50s wow. that's that's just uh mind so that i mean it, it is isn't it it's just yeah. mind-boggling and and so those those are the things that are um the least glamorous bits but the most interesting in a funny way Mm. So what do you think is going to be the long lasting impact of what's going on? I mean, you're doing such a strong work that, you know, we don't even think about it. You've kind of, it feels like you've taken off a, a bigger, uh, a bigger uh, uh, issue that you're really eventually going to sort out, which is very exciting. But what are the challenges do you think the industry is going to face? Um, I think that, um, I think that service, I think we'll have a shrink overall of somewhere between 20 to 30%. I mean, I think that that's a given. Mm. I think something like 18% of salons have already closed. Mm. So I think that's going to be a shrink. I think that on the flip side of that, in terms of services, I think that a lot of the trade industry bodies are realizing that this is a really pivotal time to push for regulation. Mm. So I think that I'm seeing a lot of movement in that. I mean, I think yeah. that whilst there's a lot of chatter about it, what needs to happen next is there needs to be a business case. Yeah. What regulation is going to cost and how they're going to manage it. Yeah. Because this is, it has to be, it has to have a commercial element to it because yeah. the government aren't going to do it. They'll support it. I'm sure if we say we'll do it ourselves, but yeah. if we're going to self-regulate, we need to figure out how we're going to pay for it. So yeah. that, that's the yeah. next step. And so I think that's, that's very interesting because there seems to be a lot of movement with the trade industry bodies about regulation um and and you know i think that's a, about it's the right time in a in mm. a lot of ways and also it does help the government with things like compliance because it's very difficult to check whether people are compliant when they're going door to door unlicensed um mm. and, and, and and when the public doesn't know the difference between a licensed practitioner putting botox into your face or not yeah. so that, all that stuff needs to be sorted out um, so, so that, that's really important. Um, in terms of recovery, I feel very positive about, re about recovery. I'm quite an optimist anyway, mm. but I do feel there's an element of certainty. I think that we tick a lot of boxes as, a, as an industry for the government. We are 
predominantly female. Mm. Um, we are, there's a, an element of sort of never, will never be automated. Mm. I think that's really important. Um, I think we've got the well-being angle. I yeah. think we're an industry that could work with government in terms of social mobility, because we are a great career for people at all, in all walks of life at any stage of their life with any level of education. Mm. So, so that I think is quite interesting. I mean, also I think in terms of green recovery, because I think the government are going to be looking to uh, environmental recovery for businesses. And I think that if we can use the courage to change report that we've developed to really get people to kind of jump on board mm. um, with the sort of, um, with the, uh, an, a better, more, a more environmental sound um, standpoint, then I think we've got a good chance of sort of getting the government to, to work with us in the future. So I think we tick a lot of boxes in that respect. And I do think that people will always want their hair cut. Yeah. They'll always want their nails done. They'll yeah. always want a facial or a massage or some kind of treat like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I always say 2008, I remember, um, you know, kind of looking at the industry. It's a strong industry in terms of crisis. Right. We just need to make sure the offering is uh, slightly different and the, and your valuable work is utilized, definitely encourage everyone to become a member. How do we yeah. become a member? At the oh yeah, so you just go on to, there's a member zone and if you click on the member zone, it will take you to where you can sign up to, for, to become a member. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, you know, we're really driven by, by what you want, what you say, how you mm -hmm. input into where we're going. We hold think tanks um, where partner members can, can attend think tanks. I'm really sort of, add their two cents to, to what the industry will look like in the future. Mm. And it's very important that, that we all come together and do that. I feel positive about the industry. I mean, I guess the only real struggle for me at the moment, I think would be retail. And I think retail just needs to innovate and adapt. I think yeah. it's, you know, e-commerce has, has come and stood in and has really um, helped the buoyancy of the product market. And it's really helped fledgling and indie brands because it's leveled the playing field for them but where does traditional beauty retail fit into to the way people shop nowadays and and that's where we need some help i think i mean we do retail training for salons and spas mm -hmm. and we always say to them look now you can position yourself as experts because yeah. if retail's going down a little bit you've got the expertise in the salon that's why we keep pushing that message no that's true oh. but but that's what that's what we did in stores i mean when yeah. we first put Aveda, for example into harvey nichols i mean horst Reckelbach, as the founder of Aveda, hated the idea of it but the fact that you could give expert advice from a hairdresser or a makeup artist to a client i mean this is the whole concept of mac yeah, you know, sure. or Bobby Brown or Shuemura or any of the brands that I worked with over the years, mm -hmm. really, they all came into the market, most of them, from mm -hmm. an expert's point of view. And that's where yeah. there should be no um, delineation to me between the services and the retail sector. Um, it should be a fusion. Definitely. I mean, that's a whole lot of another podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I mean, no, for me, retail, yeah. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. I yeah. never understand why we don't sell so much. So I'm just like, yes, I agree. Yes, please. Let's but do maybe that. maybe this will change that. Maybe this will. I mean, I also think in the re in the salons, the, the way you display retail and the way you sell it needs to change a little bit. It needs to oh, become well, yeah. warmer, more like a lounge atmosphere, yeah. testers and samples on trays and stuff. Um you know, yeah. but but 
maybe this is again another opportunity we have to look at all of this and go where are the opportunities to move forward mm. better relationship with the government um you know really taking back our services sector giving people the well-being they need mm. you know regulation recruitment you know new recruitment people are out of jobs all over the country what can they do to get back to work and put money in, and food in their children's mouth, you know, money in their pocket, food in their kids' mouths. Maybe this is a fantastic time for us to recruit. And maybe this is the revolution of retail. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fascinating. I'm always I'm always interested how how do you, you know, as a leader, you're totally the leader of uh, what you do. How do you handle difficult days? You know, what, what do you do apart from drinking coffee? The girls will tell you, I scream, I shout, and then I go and buy donuts. <laughs> that sounds that sounds perfect. it's donuts it's how i go eat coffee, eat, uh, yeah. donuts coffee and, and donuts <laughs> i'm like a policeman in america no, I'm <laughs> no i don't know i mean i just i mean i let it all out i'm just a big i'm very kind of expressive like that i certainly don't hold it in brilliant that's good yeah i let it all out i'm not i'm not one of those um I grew up in LA, I, you know, and uh, yeah. it's all about sort of, you know, I'm big on sharing. Excellent. Love yeah. <laughs> and what about your biggest success story out of everything that you've done, your fascinating career, what would you say? My kids are my biggest success oh, story, really. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've got there yet. No. I'm not really I? sure. I mean, I guess, get you know, an MBE. I mean, I've had my MBE for about yeah. 13 years, so that was pretty surreal um yeah, incredible but i don't know necessarily god i'd like to think i haven't done it yet excellent i love that <laughs> i love that and uh, if you kind of uh, you know it's just fascinating i think we could talk for hours it's, you've got so much to say so many interesting things well how can we carry on inspiring those future uh, generations of therapists and managers and future leaders i guess do you think Oh God, I think it's about being professional. I think, I think, and I, and I think it's about, we, oh, well, how can I explain this? We are, oftentimes we don't have the confidence in the work, that, not in the work that we do, but in our status in society. Mm -hmm. So we sort of downgrade the jobs that we do. We need to own it. We contribute an enormous amount to, to the British economy. We are massively vital to community. Yeah. Our cultural and our creative character is really, you know, quite astoundingly the backbone in villages and towns up and down the country. Um, and just the ability to make people feel better. Mm. It's an, you know, I don't know if the, my accountant does that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or, you know, or my bank manager, you know, <laughs> make me feel that good. Yeah. So I think we need to really own it. We, we, we need to um, be more, um, uh, we need to applaud ourselves more. We need to be more yes. congratulatory to each other. Yes. We need to uh, empower. Mm -hmm. empower ourselves and, and be more confident and be a little bit more arrogant, really, about who we are and what we do. We're fabulous yeah fabulous industry yes. to work in and i i often feel like um I'm ho i hope that the value of beauty started us on that journey you mm. know so that we can turn around and say you know i know when i got my mba and i was dating for example mm. i don't think i was dating when i got my mba but i definitely was dating after i got divorced 
and um, and I um, I would say, oh, I have an MBE, and then they would a guy that I was dating would say, oh, what, what did you get that for? And then I would say services to the cosmetics industry, and they'd be like, really? They mm-hmm. give you one for that? And I thought, mm-hmm. oh god, yeah, that's embarrassing, isn't it? You know, and yeah. then but then you know now I think screw you yeah Yeah, (laughs) you know I I got one for that why not yeah it's a big big industry I feel like saying what did you get one for and then they say nothing and I go okay there you go (laughs) and answer my question yeah Yeah. it's an incredible incredible journey Emily and uh, you know it's just inspiring by itself everything that you're saying and if you had one key focus for 2021 for all those uh, you know industry uh Therapists and managers and leaders, what would you say? Uh, recovery. I mean, mm. you know, we need to focus on recovery. We need to focus on getting our businesses back. Mm. Um, I am, uh, we, we will in January launch something called the uh, Sustainable Beauty Coalition. And sustainability isn't just about climate change, it's about profitable businesses, equality. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that go into having a sustainable business. Yeah. Um, and, and stick with me on that because I think that we all need to look at the being on the journey to sustainability. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's not just about, um, you know, water wastage or plastics, you know, it's not just about that. No. Uh, and so I think that that's, to me, that's critical. I love that. Both, both for the climate and also for our businesses, because we need to um, start that journey rolling so that we can, you know, I mean, it's not going to be perfect overnight. So it's no, definitely sure. a process. Like uh, any processes, it takes time, isn't it? Yeah, but that, but that's it. Recovery is where is the most is critical, I think, for all of mm. us. Definitely. Emotional, sure. you know, financial, um, really the lot. Really, that was incredible. Thank you so, so much. for. Thank you. Uh, God, that went by quickly, didn't it? It did. <laughs> and I just carry on asking you so many questions. <laughs> anytime, anytime. An incredible journey. So thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, we'll share all of your website and everything else uh, with your podcast. Thank you so, so much. Fantastic. And, Thanks uh, so much for having me. Thank you. Good luck with the, all of this incredible work that you're doing. And we'll be definitely following everything. So. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been uh, Millie and Valerie for today. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much.